I might blow my nose actually. Mm. Blow that schnoz, girl. I should have blown it before. Um, blow <laughs> up. <laughs> okay, everyone, take off your earphones. A is for anything, B for baby boo, C is classy clams and clogs, D for doggy doo, T is easy, F for flange, G for gammon, H for ham, I for idiot, you're an idiot, I'm an idiot, Jerry. K is kooky, L for lads, L for ladies, lads, 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 M for mummy, N for knock knock, who's there, pee pee hoo, pee pee hoo, to you for ugly, V for Venus, W for W, X is hard to comprehend, why can't I just reach the end, Z for zebra, zinc and zany, spaglioni, zip zip, Zucchini, zoom and zoom and zippel into the alphabet is really cool. A is for, A is for, A is for, A is for, A is for. Should I kick us off? Well, yes. Okay. Please. Um, this week for F, I'm going to be talking about Friday the 13th, the phenomenon, not the movie franchise, which is worthy of an episode itself. Anyway, Friday the 13th is, um, is when... The 13th of the month, <laughs> of course, falls on a Friday. And in Western Thank superstition... Thank God you clarified that. <laughs> well, it's just good to be very clear about these things, mm. lest we have any uh, tricky listeners. <laughs> it's when the 13th of the month falls on a Friday. And again. Thank you. <laughs> One more for the cheap Repetition is how you remember. Um, it's considered an unlucky day in Western superstition and it is guaranteed to happen at least once a year, but it can happen up to three times a year, no more than that. It happens when the first of the month is on a Sunday. Now, there is an official phobia of Friday the 13th. Do you want to try and guess what it's called? Ooh, Triscodecophobia. Holy moly! <laughs> Is it? Are you looking at my computer from there? <laughs> no, but I, I know that from the Friends episode when they're playing Bamboozled and Ross goes, no, it's a fear of the number 13. So I just imagine that that would put two and two together and that would be what it was. Well, yeah, that's the fear of the number 13, but the fear of Friday the 13th is called, there are two words for it. One is Parascovidocatriophobia. And the other one is... So I wasn't close. <laughs> no, you are close with this other one, okay. which is more related to a Nordic word for a f- goddess to do with Friday and this one is Frigatriska Frigatriskaidekophobia okay and that's your Triscuit <laughs> so I missed off the fr- Frigga you no, always because no. <laughs> <laughs> 17 to 21 million people in the USA are estimated to either suffer from this very specific phobia or just be a bit spooked out by Friday the 13th that's ridiculous I'm um, sorry. they claim some people claim that millions of dollars are lost on Friday the 13th in revenue across several industries but I would like to point out that representatives from Delta Airlines and indeed United Airlines have been very clear in saying <laughs> that there are no drop-offs in numbers of people traveling on that day so lest you were concerned so people are still up for travelling. Yeah, it Did they release the any case. statistics about any more plane crashes on those days? We might get to that. Oh. But we also might not. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
before I get any further, shall we just ask ourselves the question why Friday the 13th is considered unlucky? Well, yes, let's. There are lots of reasons in history why the number 13 is considered unlucky and also why Friday is considered an unlucky day. Some of these, you'll probably be familiar with them in the Bible of Christianity. (laughs) Judas was thought to be the 13th guest at the last dinner, shortly before martyring Jesus Christ. So that was unlucky. Also, in Norse mythology, there were 12 gods having a dinner party in Valhalla, which sounds really glamorous. (laughs) (laughs) And then Loki turned up as the uninvited 13th guest and arranged for one of the gods to shoot another one with a mistletoe-tipped arrow and the whole earth went dark. So that's spooky as well. Mm -hmm. There are various examples of why both 13 and Friday are thought to be unlucky, but in terms of the two of them being considered unlucky in conjunction, there are no mentions of this prior to the 19th century. And one of the earliest records of it being suggested that Friday the 13th was unlucky is in a biography of the composer Rossini. And it's said of him, if it be true that like so many Italians, he regarded Fridays as an unlucky day and 13 as an unlucky number, it is remarkable that on Friday the 13th of November, he passed away. And then this one I quite like. So this is thought to be one of the one of the things that started spreading the fear of Friday the 13th. In 1907, there was an American businessman called Thomas William Lawson, um, a highly controversial Boston stock promoter known for his efforts to promote reforms in the stock markets and also known for the fortune he amassed for himself through highly dubious stock manipulations. And he was also an author and he wrote a book called Friday, 13th. And the plot was an unscrupulous broker takes advantage of the superstition to create a Wall Street panic on Friday the 13th. So obviously it was already a superstition when he wrote that, but it's thought this book made it more popular as a as a superstition. And the weird thing is, well, one of the weird things is his wife was called Jeannie Goodwilly. <laughs> <laughs> but the weirder thing is, so the only seven-masted schooner ever built. I love the word schooner. What's a schooner? It's a boat. It's like a... I mean, Marika, I think you might know what a schooner is from that glint in your eye. No, I was just because I was about to interject and say, what's a schooner with you? I was literally just about to say, cue Marika saying, what's a schooner with you? A schooner, matata. Okay, so if you can imagine, while I described to you this seven-masted schooner, traditional boat shape, Yeah. not absolutely enormous, we're not talking the Titanic, I would say a decent yacht with seven masts down yeah. the centre so normally you have one, one mast yeah this is seven so ridiculous so Thomas William Lawson this this business this dodgy businessman I'm talking about who was married to Jeannie Goodwilly um, this seven masted schooner was named after him and in the same year that his book came out about what called Friday comma 13th <laughs> the Thomas W. Lawson seven-masted schooner crashed off the Isles of Scilly and sank, killing about 18 people on board. Oh my and it God. happened 
on Saturday, December 14th at 2.30 a.m. GMT, which means in Boston, it was still Friday 13th. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. yeah. It's quite good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Let's move on. <laughs> I don't care. So just by the way, it's even though it's a Western superstition that Friday 13th is unlucky... It seems that there are variations on that within Europe. So in Spanish-speaking cultures and in Greece, Tuesday 13th is considered unlucky, whereas in Italian culture, it's Friday the 17th. And one theory as to the origins of this is that if you look at the Roman numerals for the number 17, it's XVII. And if you reassemble those letters, you get Vixi, which is the Latin word in the past tense, meaning I have lived implying you're currently dead. Ooh. That's very cool. That is very cool. I mean, it's obviously bullshit. I like it, though. I yeah. reckon it's complete codswallop. Um, I love this. So the Italian translation, there's a 2000, the year 2000 film called Shriek, if you know what I did last Friday 13th. It was a parody, kind of a la scary movie. And the Italian version was called Shriek, do you have something to do on Friday 17th? (laughs) (laughs) There are some spooky things that have happened on Friday the 13th. One of which, do you remember, I think it was in 2015, the Costa Concordia ran aground off the coast of Italy, the largest passenger ship ever to be wrecked with double the number of passengers as the Titanic. Ooh. But 32 people died and the captain was convicted of manslaughter. Do you really? I didn't expect because there was all the pictures of it and it was like it tipped over really slowly. Yeah, it, it was just like this kind of oh slow God, motion yeah, yeah, yeah. disaster. Horrible. Oh no, it was tw- sorry, that happened in 2012. <gasps> Wasn't the Titanic in 1912? Uh-oh. Friday, On Friday the 13th. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, another thing that happened on a Friday 13th, in 2010, a 13-year-old British boy was struck by lightning at 13, 13 hours. 13 times? Was he struck 13 <laughs> times? <laughs> no, he was struck once and... He- For 13 seconds. Fortunately, he only suffered minor burns, which is quite miraculous. That's very cool. Yeah. But literally 13 minutes past 13 hours on Friday the 13th. Crazy. Yeah. Also on Friday the 13th, Tupac Shakur died in September 1996. And that was six days after he was shot four times. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, there are lots of other things that have happened. There have been several plane crashes on Friday the 13th, but of course I don't want that to stop you from travelling on that day. It's perfectly safe, (laughs) is my opinion. But it's something about the number 13 is obviously stuck with people's imaginations because I didn't realise this. It's very common for hotels to skip the the floor 13 and also even rooms. They just won't have room 13. And there are... Because people won't book into them because of superstition or because they just don't... I think it's either it could be that the owner of the hotel or if it's just a tall building, the landlord or the building owner might be superstitious themselves. But also, in some cases, it's because they can't be bothered to deal with superstitious tenants or guests. Yeah. So it's just a way of not dealing with any of of that. That feels more spooky to me. Yeah, me too. To miss out a whole floor. 
Well, actually, in Canada, they've changed it. I think they've made it illegal now to to have that practice of skipping a floor because in emergency situations, it can lead to miscommunication mm. about where you need to rescue people. So when when people in buildings do skip the 13th floor, it will either be that they just call it the 14th floor or examples such as Trump Tower in Chicago, it's called the mezzanine floor. Um, you'd be pleased to know that according to a study of 157 Friday 13ths by a financial news outlet, the stock market is basically unaffected by Friday the 13th. Thank God. Except for in one case, ladies and gentlemen, in 1989, in October on Friday the 13th, there was a drop in the market of 6.1%. And coincidence or not it was the year that Friday the 13th part 8 Jason Takes Manhattan <laughs> came out the, the glee in your vase as you described that was quite something so I didn't think I was that superstitious but then I was looking at the most common superstitions one of which is that Friday the 13th is unlucky and it turns out I'm highly superstitious and I well, I'm just going to read out some of the most common superstitions. Touching wood. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, got, um, got me there. Yeah, got me there. Fingers crossed. I say it, but I don't do it. Yeah, I don't mean it. Oh, my yeah. God. That's very risky. I, w- I wouldn't cross my f- fingers. Throwing salt over your shoulder. <laughs> Sometimes. Walking under a ladder. Wouldn't wouldn't love. Wouldn't try not to. <laughs> I like to clamber up the inside of ladders. <laughs> What about a black cat crossing your path? Doesn't bother me. Bothers me and it's happened twice in the last week. Really? <gasps> yeah. Happens a lot to me, but I live with a black cat. Mm, that's true. <laughs> so, you know, I've got to get used to it. Kitchen to living room. Oh, hairy. <laughs> Breaking a mirror. Oof, yeah, I don't like that. Have done that recently. <gasps> yeah. Seven years. I know. I like this one. This one in is uh, in Turkey, India and South Korea at least and maybe in more places it's uh, considered bad luck to cut your nails after dark Ooh. it's kind of creepy it made me think about it and I was like ooh it's, do you think happen? that's just because maybe because if it's dark you might cut yourself but isn't that just logic rather than superstition potentially I well, think it probably started with logic it, and became with... a superstition no it's, it's sorry it's not in the dark it's after dark but that's the same with walking under a ladder it came from not having a paint thing dropped on your head no also another theory for that is something to do with Christianity and the Holy Trinity and that the shape created by a ladder against a wall is like a triangle and if you go under the ladder you break the triangle and you're just you're interfering with the Holy Trinity that's just one theory there's one there's one superstition that I love um, and it's a Japanese one that in cemeteries people tuck their thumbs into their pockets and it's supposedly because the thumb is known as the parent finger so if you tuck your thumb into your pocket you're protecting your parents from death aww unless you hate your parents jazz hands walking through yeah (laughs) big thumbs up (laughs) Uh, on that horrible note (laughs) that's kind of me me wrapped up For my F, I am going to be talking about fads. Mm. F-A-D-S, fads. Just because they're quite they're quite interesting, aren't they? And we've all 
had our fair share of fads. Oh, yeah. And while I do my first spiel, you two can be thinking about this question. If there were to be a fad that you would create, what would it be? So you just think on that and I'll tell you a little bit about some fads and what they are. And it's, I mean, it's really a trend or craze, isn't it? In any any form that is like a collective behaviour that develops within a culture or or a generation or like a a social group. They're sudden, quick spreading and can be absolutely anything. Although the big, the big categories, I mean, it really can be anything, but the ones that spring to mind are like fashion, hairstyles, toys, diets, which we'll get to, which I have one that I can't wait to tell you about. And dances. Dances is a big one. Oh, um, yeah. Which I thought was more of a current thing because I was like TikTok, you know, all the bloody dances that you see all the bloody kids doing. Actually, the Macarena started as like a fad, a craze, and that's that's where it came from. And apparently the twist as well. But I just think of stuff like flossing. And it's interesting because the, they're, they're kind of solely based around, or at least for them to catch on, I think novelty is a, is a massive part of it. Um, and as soon as the novelty wears off, arguably the fad is over. But equally... If you don't have lots of people adopting it, it doesn't become a fad or a craze. Bearing in mind the Macarena is still incredibly popular to this day. But is it? As in, it, yeah. it, it's incredibly well known, but you don't get... Like, there was a time where people were just doing the Macarena non-stop. What, sorry, which year did it... Um, I can't remember. Just because it was very popular when we were kids. Yeah, because like, I feel like that was our first... We were That's when we were first exposed to it, so we would have it at every bloody disco. Yeah, that was disco Heaven. fever. <laughs> <laughs> but I would also say that you'd probably find it at a lot of weddings. 1993. Oh, that oh makes my sense. God. <laughs> yeah. My birth year. Why did I think it was like oh, like really old? But but and it and it came from the song and then obviously yeah. the dance came with the song. But you, I, I wouldn't like you don't. <gasps> it's so difficult to imagine the song without the dance. Hey Macarena, Macarena, Macarena. There you go. That's not how I'm it just goes. Think, yeah, that's yes, not, it is. That's not how it's it goes. One it's one This counts. And then goes, hey, oh, Macarena. Oi. Wow, hey, you really Macarena. do carry a song well. <laughs> Me? Um, yeah. Do that again. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a performing monkey. But yeah, I just thought that was interesting about the novelty versus coolness. And it's said to catch on when... The number of people adopting it begins to increase to the point of being noteworthy. So you can't have a fad with it being like under the radar. Yeah. But also, as soon as it's big, it's kind of the the like cool side of it's kind of over. A bit like literally everything. Like I feel like that's a trend in music. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> I feel like that is everything these days. Yeah. So basically, you cannot Memes. have an underground fad. No, but you can't really have an overground fad. But also, last... but you can't have a fad without it starting underground. Mm. as well where did fidget spinners begin I mean yeah. were they ever underground that's on my list of of fads that were just huge like mm. every I had one and I'm not one to be tucked in by fads but I also absolutely am yeah you definitely are <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like that was huge and now no like when was the last time anyone thought about or saw yeah. a fidget spinner I've been thinking of them because there's that new thing and isn't it called a fidget something? Yeah, well, I was about to say, things. yeah, Joe, oh? you would love it. I played it, played with one recently because I was hanging out with some kids. Um, and <laughs> yeah, yeah but Joe, you would love it. 
<laughs> you would love it. No, I love. I mean, I love no, it. I know, it's, no. it's like um, kind of rubber, little half of a sphere pockets that you press like bubble wrap. <gasps> oh my goodness! Um, and then they've invented all these like all different like games that you can do with them and stuff like that. But it's mainly just for. Um, Pressing things. Oh wow, I do like the sound of that a lot. Yeah, one walk through Leicester Square and you will be done with them. <laughs> There's like whole books written on the psychology behind why and how people adopt fads. People are absolutely fascinated by it. But but a, a common strain of thought of how it needs to catch on is that generally it needs to come from some form of elite, whether it be like Kate Moss wearing Hunter Wellies or like whatever. Good times. Now let's talk about some famous fads. And I've got some good historical fads, which I hope are true. As per usual, they're from quite a unreliable website. <laughs> but um, are there any big fads that you guys remember from Oof, probably yeah. childhoods? Loads. My, my big ones, I'll go first. Okay. <laughs> were, just in case you say them and then I don't have anything to say. <laughs> Skirts over trousers. Who remembers that? No, neither of you. <laughs> that was huge. That was such a huge thing. At your school? I just remember seeing, like, maybe it came from Avril Lavigne. Uh, did she wear? And, like, ties and waistcoats and stuff. Yeah, I wouldn't... Yeah. Groovy chick? That yeah. That was a big one. Yeah. Was that Ugg a boots? fad? Yeah. Or rather than just, like, something that was quite trendy for quite a while whilst we were kids. I think it was a fad. Marika just ploughing through Jelly's section. <laughs> section. Six. Well, come on then, Smarty Pants. You give well, me some fads. Oh, I bloody, bloody will. <laughs> if you bloody let me. Um, pogs. Pardon? Yeah, yeah, what, pogs. What's a pog? You used to have those little cardboard circles and they used to have like the Tasmanian devil on them for Ooh. reason. You used to get them in cereal packets. Yes. And there was a game that you could play, but it was really hard. Pog Wars. Um, I'm thinking Beyblades. Yeah, water willies. What were they? Uh, those those things those that you hold. Those things that you slip through your hands, and and they were like a. They're a still around. Tube and... filled with water, but fun coloured gels and glitter and little dolphins and things. Oh yeah, and you squeeze them through your hand. It would yeah. just keep slipping. I, I mean, I don't know that. what they were called, but we called them water willies. I do remember that. <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> little children's toy. But yeah, I feel like, uh, the, and you know, obviously there was the Pokemon cards, which was yeah. the, the biggest one probably for our generation. Um, um, but I wonder whether with Pokemon cards is that, that was, yeah, it's it's hard actually to pinpoint what exact, as in what thing, what fads are, because I suppose if they last a certain period of time, and Pokemon, Pokemon as a thing was around for ages, but I suppose anyone younger than us probably w- doesn't know what it is, maybe? Yeah, or probably isn't, I always think I always associated with this idea of like collecting something for quite a short amount of time and then yeah. like being bored of it very quickly. Yeah. There there's a a recent fad I can think of. Do you remember the dress? The uh, colour of color the dress. Thing. No, I'm talking about <laughs> the dress from Zara. And oh, it was yeah. that summer that every single woman <laughs> yeah. you saw was wearing the dress and it was this white sack with black polka dots on it. Oh, my God, it. Yeah. yeah. And it was just, what was so amazing to me was the dress was completely unmemorable. I mean, I remember it because it was the dress, but it was just this, like, sack. And everyone went dotty for it. Yeah, I do Gosh. remember that. That was I was trying to think of fads in in recent years and that is such a good example. I couldn't all all of the ones I was thinking of were more like childhood based. Yeah. Um but yeah, some of the diet ones insane, but I just picked my favorite three. 
they're like the worst i think personally just because they're so stupid like how also as i was researching this i was just constantly getting served ads for like how to lose 10 pounds in 10 seconds (laughs) it's just relentless but um number one the master cleanse i'm on that now (laughs) no i'm not i'm all for I, i you know i'm i think for people who need to and if your body's the right constitution for it fasting great i definitely approve this involves surviving solely on water lemon maple syrup and cayenne pepper for 10 days oh yeah Oof. yolanda from real housewives of beverly hills does the master cleanse a lot and this is why they catch on because people then watch it will see yolanda and be like i want to look like that it's crazy that's surely quite so dangerous so dangerous yeah this is the thing with half of these things it's like genuinely really dangerous awful and that's you're obviously not getting any nutrients it just sounds um, like something to eat your stomach yeah like and lemon it, and cayenne pepper yeah and but then just sugar completely I guess the sugar is what's keeping you running oh, yeah God. the maple syrup bit. just yeah grim and anything that you lose you will just gain straight away as soon as you start eating again so yeah. it's insane the worst one <laughs> maybe you guys will love it maybe you've done it I don't know the tapeworm diet oh god have you heard of this disgusting literally as extreme as it gets the tapeworm diet isn't like really and uh, you know maybe if you're really struggling that's there's a world in which you think okay last resort but (laughs) the concept is that the dieter orders tapeworm eggs um, that you normally get off the black web apparently dark web what's it called (laughs) yeah the dark web um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it comes in, in pill formats. The eggs are in the pills. And once the pills arrive, you swallow the pill. And then obviously you start losing weight because you've got tapeworms. And you can eat all you want. And you can eat all you, wa- you want. But obviously... Eating for two. Like... Isn't that quite dangerous? So dangerous. Yeah. While the tape, tapeworm grows, it absorbs all your calories and all the nutrients. You It's not just taking like like your pizzas and your you know it's going for everything you get severe malnutrition apparently like debilitating stomach pain like chronic diarrhea and they're also really fucking difficult to get rid of and you normally have to go to the doctor to get rid of them and the eggs can spread throughout your entire body like they don't just stay localized to your gut and stuff they once they get in they're just like here we go and you're just crawling with tapeworms that's my worst nightmare horrific oh dear I am picturing a worm eating a pizza. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but isn't that a thing where who was it like to get it to get I a tapeworm? I, I think I had this Did conversation you? weirdly with your mum. Yes, I yes. told your mum about this, or your mum told me about this. I can't remember which way round it was. Maybe it was mum that told you. Oh, God, can you can you because I'm hazy on the details. Yeah, so uh, one of the methods of getting rid of tapeworms is. Um, <laughs> if when they've grown to a certain size is to get the the victim to open their mouth and then you hold uh, raw meat um, like hover it by the mouth and the tapeworm comes up <sighs> and then you pull it out <laughs> comes up through your mouth and then you pull it out to me- eat the meat so I guess you probably wouldn't eat for a few days as Have well to make it real this? hungry yeah, yeah. Are you that's serious? the kind of thing that I definitely check on Google I mean I've seen pictures of them and they are so disgusting they're sure just, you're not talking from experience? <laughs> I've got it's the tapeworm top doing this whole episode for me. Oh, no, no, no. 
pissing about making trying to get everyone to the tape where I'm dying. Um, <laughs> Feed us pizza, <laughs> pepperoni pizza. <laughs> um, and then the last one, which I think is just really funny, and I have a memory of my dad telling me that, but I think he was just being facetious that I had to, about chewing fifty-two times. Did you guys ever? Were yeah. you guys ever told that as a children? Yeah, yeah. But, but there's a, a diet created by a lady called Horace Fletcher founder of the Fletcherizing diet who said that you had to chew all foods and liquids not really sure how that one works um a (laughs) hundred times before swallowing which the only way it would make you lose any weight is that you get so bored of eating there is a theory it's definitely not that you're supposed to chew your food a hundred times because that's absolutely like ludicrous yeah um but we are we do chew less than we're supposed to because then we get we eat more before we're full because we're all such speedy eaters these days because it's like so easy because we have knives and forks and everything's very simple and usually quite squishy and that we can eat and eat and eat and then that's why sort of 10 minutes later you're like oh my god I'm really full yeah that's true that's true uh, eat chewing more great but not a hundred times you'll get bad teeth you'll be dropping off and (laughs) and it would take so long it would take like an hour to, to get through it the eating part of every meal maybe you'd get incredibly quick at chewing like a like a rodent (laughs) (laughs) yeah maybe (laughs) well maybe I'll ask you if have you thought of anything fad wise yeah okay well it's quite quick I came up with it a long time ago around uh, the advent of the fidget spinner because I was like I feel like I could come up with a useless toy okay Um, and the idea also don't steal this no no not you two okay someone else it's copyright written it's copyright it's copyright um, it's like a ball where it has it somehow has batteries in it but there's like no seam to it and it's covered in little buttons sort of like perfectly symmetrical buttons going all the way around that you can press and the aim of the game is to press every single button just once and then you've completed it and the whole thing will flash green but if you press a button twice by accident it'll Ooh. go red and then you have to start again whoa because it'd be good. so hard to d- complete and I feel like kids love pressing buttons and yeah, it's a very good idea. Yeah, I um for my fad, I mean of course I would say world peace, but <laughs> given their I short, fucking hope it's not a fad. <laughs> yeah, given they're short lived, I'd like it to be something very shameful that, um, that you know the youths of today would do because it was a fad and it was on trend but in two months time it would be like oh my god what have you done yeah like like it so maybe like just doing a poo in public or something (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's the fad that would be hard to get it to catch on perhaps though but people caught on to what was that milk crate challenge recently yeah also eating Tide Pods or whatever so I think people would start pooing in the street if we made it cool that's what I'm saying ice yeah. bucket challenge you just film it and put it on TikTok and then poo bucket challenge just poo poo, poo pavement challenge, challenge. <laughs> okay great movement well, very good <laughs> a social movement maybe after this we're going to come out and there's going to be people pooing on the streets yes even though they haven't heard it yet well if I have it my way they will be so yeah fads and I appreciate both of your fads thank Thank you you for thinking about it just before we properly start on fragrance which is my F um, I just thought of two really good 
like perfume shop names oh yeah um one's the kind of like cheaper stuff more like high street and then there's the higher end one so you've got common sense and perfect sense <laughs> oh very nice do you guys spritz a little something on yourself every day i do yeah tell us more not every day i suppose but well i have bitch spray which you know oh yeah well. um sorry what is bitch spray <laughs> well it's a spray that i use i don't know what well, oh it's called beach spray and <laughs> it's i suppose it's quite a basic a basic beach a basic beach smelling smell which i love um and i also have my signature smell mm-hmm. which is just a little perfume that i've had for years that i found in the chemist in the um shop in france near where my grandparents live lovely what and what is what does it smell of it's um cedar cedar and something else but it smells you you will have smelt it i know you know (laughs) for the fans yeah um (laughs) hard to describe a smell in some ways maybe it's because i'm so blocked that i can't think of it what are they called olafactorist olafactorist yeah um yep i do i do wear a perfume in fact, I reordered some of my signature scent yesterday. And I was really umming and ahhing about weather too because I've been thinking a lot about stuff and things and what they mean and fragrance and all of that stuff. And I was like, do I want it? And I was like, I do. <laughs> Great. And what is it? What? What? It's, um, it's, it's, oh, I hate saying it. You can't say it without sounding like a cunt. Say it. Say it. Hermes. What flavour? <laughs> <laughs> it's called Voyage. Oh, Voyage. And what does it smell like? It smells of juniper mm. and cardamomy. Ooh. And nice. I love it. Great. Are you wearing it right now? No, because I'm out. I'm all out. Of course. Uh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wear a French one. <laughs> Sorry, it's um. It's called... Lontisque by a company called Fadon. Oh, lovely! And it's a Spanish bush, apparently, but it's quite just a woody, a woody kind of smell. So there you go, and I am wearing it right now, ladies but and gentlemen. You, I feel like you you were known far and wide for your pomegranate noir before that. I was, but that it, was, that's a very popular smell. Yeah, but you were wearing it before it was popular. I would say. Thank you very much. <laughs> you and my mum. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have to disagree because my sister and several other people I know were wearing it before her. Oh, well, uh, yeah. They, it really is popular. It's a fad. <laughs> it is, actually, and I still get whiffs of it around. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, fragrance, hey that goes back an incredibly long time. Um, the world's first recorded chemist is considered to be a woman named Taputi, um, who was a perfume maker from the second millennium BC in Mesopotamia. Um, and she would distill flowers, oil, and calamus, which is a kind of psychedelic plant, uh, with other aromatics, and then filter them. And so, yeah, basically, ancient civilizations, so Egyptians, ancient China, the Middle East, Cyprus, they were all making perfumes um, way before it came to Europe, um, which was in the 1300s. And France sort of hopped in there and became the, the head honcho of, of perfume making in uh, in Europe, which is actually so all three of our perfumes are French that we actually yeah. are wearing or soon to be wearing. Isn't that interesting? Well, it is still basically the perfume capital. I think Italy's got a foot in there as well. Um, but interestingly, I, I read this earlier um, from the old lovely internet. Um, 
that perfume use peaked in England during the reigns of Henry VIII and Queen Elizabeth. Um, and all public places were scented during Queen Elizabeth's rule because she could not tolerate bad smells. So everywhere had a, a fragrance thrown wow. out. May I just say on that on that topic, masking bad smells with scent is so offensive to me. And yeah. I was recently I, I in... Uh, I was recently bought some uh, toilet paper with a <gasps> scent. Oh, that's the worst and thing. I felt like throwing up every time I wiped my bum. Yeah, <laughs> it's horrible. Not a good time to do it. I, I I went through a phase of accidentally always buying a scented loo roll because it was the Tesco in my house is rubbish and they confused me with their horrible packaging and uh, was just chronically. Not chronically, but was constantly wiping my arse. <laughs> Both of those words are still basically. So you were constantly wiping your butt. I can't, I was always by accidentally picking up scented loo roll, and it was horrible. But then I, the part of me, the miserly part of me, was like, well, I can't waste it. No, no, no. And I have to use it, and it's also really bad for your vag, yeah. ladies. It's yeah. not good for you. Messes it with your pH. Yeah. This this one your was candy hole. flossed. <laughs> No. Um, yeah, absolutely horrible. So, in terms of just like how we, I thought you know, so you like you know me, I like to get a bit of a bit fancy. Um, so we have uh, millions of sensory neurons on a strip of tissue at the back of our nose, and on the tips of those cells are little proteins called receptors, which bind with odor molecules as they float through. Um, so there's there's a whole heap of different odor molecules, um, and they trigger different receptors like multiple different recep- different receptors and the receptors can also be triggered by multiple different odor molecules so there's a whole big old shebang of like how much stuff we can smell and actually scientists reckon that one trillion is prob- probably an underestimation of the true number of smells that we can detect <gasps> wow yeah so it's a pretty mighty sense dogs have actually like i think about double the amount of receptors just to put that into perspective for what they can smell yeah um so once we get once we've received the smell it goes up into um the olfactory bulb which is in the front of our brain and that's where it gets identified and then it gets relayed to other areas of the brain for processing and like one of the two most kind of interesting ones are taste and memory um obviously smells a huge part of taste um when you have a stinking cold it's Hard to taste things, <laughs> ain't it, gel? <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, and then memory, back to that sweet little hippocampus for some memory, um, which is an interesting one because there's a lot of chat about how smell is sort of the strongest sense because it is uh, so evocative and 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 pulls pulls up all this sense of nostalgia much in a much stronger way than any other scent. And actually. I was reading a book called The Secret of Scent by Luca Turin, which I'm going to reference a couple of times during this segment. Um, And he's basically saying um, fragrance has no specific evocative power, which is kind of any way better than music or visual cues or anything like that, you know. But because smells are so unique, so no molecule of smell is, is, is the same, which means like no two like different compounds out of the hundreds of thousands made so far have identical smells so basically it's really really rare that you're ever actually going to smell something again 
um, unless you're exposed to it very regularly. So like, for instance, the perfumes that we spray on each ourselves, each other. <laughs> Come over here, girls. Um, you start to almost lose that sense of the smell of those because you're smelling it every day. But for instance, if your grandma had a perfume and that changed or they stopped making it kind of 15 years ago when you did catch a whiff of that smell which would have to be the exact same molecule that was and the same compound that was in that perfume which would be incredibly rare considering that's like a constructed thing um that's why it feels so evocative because you're not going to be getting that like at any other time so it's like a bit of a myth but it still slightly makes sense in that Mm. in that sense but um and then there's another misconception as well about fragrance um which is to do with the idea that like pheromones are like a sexy smell um, and actually pheromones predominantly are scentless anyway. They're just usually combined with lots of other kind of bodily odours, which again, we will get onto later. And actually they're, they're perceived by a completely separate organ in the nasal septum and they go straight to the like arousal part of you and the reproductive part of you rather than anywhere else. So they're kind of like a completely different inhalable thing. Um, there's a few different ways of collecting smells and fragrances. Um, one of them is called maceration, which is like what you do with cherries, <laughs> where you just chuck the raw materials um, in with a solvent and let them just sit there for ages, and that dissolves the desired compounds, and then you kind of extract them from there. Um, there's distillation, which is obviously heating the raw material, and then the compounds are collected through the condensation. Um, and then there's this one's good expression, which is squeezing or compression to release oil. Um, and this only happens with citrus fruit peel because that's the only thing in high enough quantities to make it worthwhile on a, in a money sense. So when you have that in perfumes, if it's not synthetic, um, it will have been actually squeezed mm. from the peel, which is wow. quite nice. Chemists now can make um, synthetic molecules. So they're making them all the time and they can be kind of any smell they've cut they create like new smells by creating these new molecules which is quite cool like it's not like because of a certain blend it's like a complete molecule that's brand new which is awesome yeah but what like i don't understand how you can just create a molecule out of nothing like what the hell and like well and like compounds so they're like blending molecules but the first perfume that made use of a synthetic smell was uh, composed in 1881 uh, by Paul Parquet um, for a brand called well it's French and I don't want to sound like a dick <laughs> like Aubigant like Hobigant lovely um, and was called Fougère Royale uh, which means royal fern um, but it hasn't been made for decades and can only be found in Versailles in the world's only perfume museum which guys we have to go to yeah mm. it's and I'm going to read from Luca Turin's book, The Secret of Scent, because he has been there and he has smelled this perfume and he writes a lovely little passage about what it smells like. Um, so this is a very, very, very old perfume. Um, so also just before I read this, the first line, um, uh, coumarin is a sweet odour resembling vanilla, just so you know. Okay. Um, it does smell of coumarin. There it is, um, to be sure. But it is also fresh, clean, austere, almost bitter. This is the reference smell of scrubbed bathrooms, suggested of black and white tiles, clean, slightly damp towels, a freshly shaven daddy. But wait, 
There's a funny thing in there, something not altogether pleasant. It's a touch of natural civet, stuff that comes from the rear end of an Asian cat and smells like it does. Suddenly I understand. We're in a bathroom. The idea here is shit, and what's more, someone else's shit. That faint shock of slightly repellent intimacy you get when you go to the loo at someone's dinner party and smell the air. Small wonder Fouguer Royale was such a success. At a distance, he who wears it is everyone's favourite son-in-law. Up close, a bit of an animal. Ooh, goodness me. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Cool, right? Very cool. So, this idea of these kind of like dirty smells, um, I was looking up some really kind of odd perfume ingredients. Some of them you'll definitely already know, um, quite famous. Um, and so the the civet, the civetone is actually the name of the, the compound, is from the, yeah, from the anal gland um, of a civet. I think you're not allowed to actually like extract it from the creature anymore. So they, they use a synthetic one. But obviously people still do do that. I think they make them really stressed and then squeeze their bum oh, glands. Oh, that's horrible. For so yeah. many reasons. Imagine if someone did that to you, Jelly. In fact, maybe I'll try it. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> that's you making me stressed. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's not dissimilar to one called castoreum, uh, which is a strong leathery scent from the yellowish oily secretions of male beavers. Oh. Another one was musk. <laughs> which is from and a musk is broad because you also have many different animals as well like there's a musk beetle um there's a musk rat musk rat um but i'm gonna say about the musk deer so it's from a a musk pod of the male musk deer how many times can i say musk in one sentence (laughs) um and the pod contains the prepucial or prepucial 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 (laughs) thank you hey little girl prepucial gland um so there's a gland which is part of the reproductive system and serves to excrete a stinky pheromone-filled oil, which actually um, can often end up combining with dead skin cells and becoming deer smeg. Um, but that is musk. So it's oh. it's like, again, it's this oily secretion used to attract other deer. Um, it's kind of like the carrier of the pheromones, if you will. It's yeah. like giving them a physical stank. Um, and we love it. We bloody do. But the next one is the most interesting one, and it's called, I think it's Indole or Indole, but there's no accent on the E, but it just sounds quite Indole. fun. Indole! <laughs> Indole! Um, which is a chemical compound that's found in white flowers, and particularly jasmine, it's most prevalent in, um, and also in feces. Of course. Like everyone's feces, not just like uh, some a, random animal. A, like A common, what, one uniting smell that everyone's poo has. Yeah. And one smell to rule them all. Exactly. <laughs> and particularly, you'll, you can have more of it in your poo if you eat a lot of turkey and drink lots of milk um, because there's some... Oh, <laughs> what a diet. There's some like... <laughs> That's the new fad. It's <laughs> a milk turkey diet. <laughs> there's some reaction that happens in your stomach that means you produce more of it. Um, and it's not a pleasant smell. Um, I can imagine. <laughs> I think I mean, even just milk and turkey mixed together wouldn't be a pleasant smell. Yeah, but it doesn't smell like milk and turkey. Oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. I got stuck on that. But it's present <laughs> in jasmine. Thing. Yes, right. So it's basically, and, and most white flowers, like mm. in its sort of raw state, is described as smelling like a combination of a wet dog, stale hot breath and mothballs. Oh, mothballs, okay. The other two. I'm not talking about the ones you put in your cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but this is the thing obviously again that gets diluted and becomes a sort of like little piquant in the back like a of mellow the, mellow but it still got its edge because I mean I remember going to a perfume shop with a friend of mine and um we didn't know what the smell of the perfume was and the guy behind the desk um, stuffed a jasmine perfume in my friend's face and she said it smelled like a nappy. But then it's kind of fresher, like a, na- like a fresh nappy kind of would be. But what it does is arouse this really primal response um, in, in humans. Um, so that's why they put it in perfumes because it gives it this kind of like seductive edge. It kind of is putting you in touch with your primal instincts. Um, and also... There was something about how, you know, like other animals, they do like smell poo to kind of like get work out things about other animals yeah, that have yeah. left it. Like they're, they're trying to work out what's how what long, they've been doing, how far away they are. Yeah. Or what they've been eating. Yeah. What like probably you can probably smell like hormones and stuff in, in, in poo. And it's like linking us back to these very kind of like more feral parts of ourselves. Um, and also people have even said that it also smells like sex to them because it's got that kind of sweaty, damp, musty, pooey, pooey, pooey smell. Um, you know, no holds barred. None of that kind of like... Quite literally. <laughs> yeah, but like no, but none of none of that uh, sterile um, environment is very like animalistic and stanky. Um, I had one more um, funny little... Please. Uh, ...ingredient, which I think is the one we all know about, which is... Uh, how do you say it? Amb- ambergris? Ambergris, I think. Amb- that? Ambergris. Um, so that is... So it's, it translates, obviously, in French to grey amber. And um, it's intestinal slurry ejected into the ocean from a sperm whale, which then hardens as it bobs along on the ocean <laughs> waves. Um, and it's there because inside um, the whale, it helps... Uh, Sorry, I've written this night out really badly. It says, inside the whale is helps undigestible. <laughs> um, it helps undigestible squid beaks to pass through the whale's digestive system, which is uh, quite clever. So it's kind of oily and waxy and it stops the beaks from hurting the inside of the whale. Um, and apparently up close it has a marine fecal odour. Wow. But I love wh- the smell. Yeah. When it's, it's in stuff, I love that smell. It's very, very popular and it's worth a lot, a lot of money. I can't, I don't know if I've ever smelt it. Yeah, I wouldn't like know. A, I wouldn't know. know. It's like a mellow scent, I would say. It's soft and warm and it's nice. Wow. So funny that it literally comes from, and they, it turns into these almost like rock-like chunks. Um like stones yeah well and someone just goes around scooping them up well recently there was a story which I don't know how recently it was just because I found out about it today (laughs) um, (laughs) where 35 fishermen in southern Yemen came across a sperm whale carcass which 1.5 million dollars worth of ambergris was inside (gasps) yeah and it like changed their lives and they gave loads of the money to like all their friends and stuff that's so nice yeah it was just a nice little story that I thought we could know We'll share. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to episode F of A is 4 with Marika, Jelly and Gina. Please join us next week when we will be giving in to guilty pleasures, getting the ghoulies with ghosts and guzzling garlic. And you can follow us on Instagram at A is 4 podcast. A is 4, A is 4, A is 4.